So this has nothing to do with what we're talking about because we're talking about the book of Acts. But I read a, <clears throat> an article that this week in what's Tablet Magazine. <clears throat> Tablet is like a real kind of a liberal reform Jewish publication. But I was reading this article about Torah study and non-Jews. There is, there is a wave of interest coming back, Gentiles coming back to Torah. And, you know, what's so interesting is that ultra-Orthodox Judaism, there is, there is a tradition that says that, that Jews are not, this sounds so horrible, but this is real, that they're not supposed to share Torah with Gentiles. Why? Because there are so many Jews out there who don't know Torah that we don't have time to, like, we shouldn't be wasting time. Now, that's not in any way the mainstream way of thinking, but that's one perspective. But there are all these people in Israel who are writing, you know, there's a new copy of the Bible coming out, the Israel Bible that's done by Koran that has transliterated Hebrew with the with the standard Hebrew, with the, with the translation. There's all kinds of things that are going on because, and people are going to Israel. Non-Jews are going to Israel to study. And there, there are all kinds of new classes and online academies that are forming for non-Jews to teach them Torah. That sounds awesome, but it's not quite as awesome as it might sound. Why? Can anyone give a suggestion why? Right. Because if you don't have the perspective of Yeshua in the center of Torah, then it can become very confusing. And then it's not that far of a jump to say, well, if what they told me about this in the New Testament is wrong and they're telling me about this in the Torah that's right and gosh, it just makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that like I really don't even need, I just, there's one lady quoted in the article, she said, I'm from, an, I'm from a Christian background but you know, I, I've, I've come to the place now where I recognize that just believing in God is enough. Like you don't really have to have you don't really need Yeshua. I mean, whatever the path is, you know, I've learned that. That's dangerous. Now, I'm not, I, I have some, what many would view as a creative interpretation probably on how God's going to restore all of Israel, as Paul says, through Yeshua. But I know that Yeshua has to be there. You have to say Yeshua is Messiah every Every knee will bow and every tongue confess, right? So why do I say that? I say that because we, when I tell you we're on a mission, when I tell you we're at a strategic time in the history of the world and the future of the world, I'm not just trying to be dramatic. I'm not just trying to like get you excited about being at Nachmu Ami. I'm trying to help you understand that there is something 
world changing going on around us. And we really do have a part to play. And part of that is knowing what we believe and why we believe it. And to be able, as Peter said, to always be ever ready to give an explanation for the faith that you have in Yeshua. But the best explanation for the faith you have in Yeshua is to understand the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Because that's how it's written. And we're reading today in, in well, I'm going to save that, but the, 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 the gospel reading today in the Torah service is about Yeshua talking to the twelve and sending them out and saying, now don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to Samaria. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's a strange text to have to work through, isn't it? This is the connection. This study that we're doing, going through the book of Acts, is very important for so many different things. But that thing about understanding Yeshua through Torah and being able to communicate that to people who are now looking, that is prophetic, that God will write the Torah on everyone's heart and they will come to understand it. And you won't have to ask your neighbor, what does this mean? Because everybody understands it. But we're part of that. We're a part of that. And I don't say that with pride or conceit. God has chosen us to, to be a light like Deuteronomy 4, but we're a light with Yeshua as the flame. So, with that said, I want to talk and continue talking about the book of Acts. And last week we talked about a couple of purposes for the book of Acts. And we looked, first of all, at the purpose one that Luke had in writing this book. And I told you last week, planes, trains, and automobiles. Do your, do your audience a favor. When you tell a story, have a point, right? Luke had a point. He had a purpose. The first thing was that he wanted to show us historically and, and culturally and geographically and all this stuff. He wanted to connect, to pair, to bridge the Gospels and the story of all that Yeshua began to do and to teach with how it happened, with the pairing. And then Luke went to great lengths in purpose two, to the promise, the realization of God's perfect plan coming together, creating the A-team, not Mr. T and Hannibal. The Adonai team with the God of the universe with Yeshua. And that is the real A-team, the Adonai team, Hashem, Yeshua. And to establish this beautiful, what we talked about last week, the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the community, the community, the congregation of Messiah, the theological dictionary of the New Testament says, those who, the ecclesia, those who follow the call of God and come together. But the A-team had some other members coming on board, right? And that was also part of the gospel reading today. And that was about the shlichim, the players, 
Adonai established it. Yeshua made this all possible, but Yeshua is not the main character of our book that we're studying. Is he? Is Yeshua the main character of Acts? No, he's not. Yeshua was in chapter one, and then Yeshua was gone. He ascended, and he left the mission to someone else. And I love these statues here. They're so, like, beautiful. Here's Paul holding his head in his hand. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure I've seen this. I think this is in Israel. Have we seen this? I think driving down the road, there's this massive building. I couldn't figure out where this was. I just had the, the picture. But I think that's carved into this Catholic building in Israel. Peter, uh, I think there on the left, of course, the first pope, and Paul with his head. But I say it for fun. These are the players. These are purpose three. The pairing, the promise, and the players. And these players are your main characters, but not the main character. They're in the cast. The players, this is what we want Luke, this is what Luke wants to show. To Theophilus, remember he wrote the book to who? Who's the book of Luke and Acts written to? Thank you, Theophilus. He wanted to show Theophilus and all who come after, and that's us, how it happened. How it happened, not historically, not conceptually, not spiritually, but tangibly. Who did this? How did we get this story to come to this place? But Luke had a very particular purpose in mind by choosing the main players that he chooses for this story. And I want to look at that today. And so it begins with this familiar text here. We've looked at it many times in week three, uh, going back to Acts 1. I wrote the first volume, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach up to the day he was taken up after he had given orders by the Ruach HaKodesh to the emissaries he had chosen. Yeshua chose them and he ordered them. Specific people that he hand-selected. This book is called Maaseh HaShlichim in Hebrew. Maaseh HaShlichim. The works, the doings, the doings, ma'aseh, hashlichim, of the apostles. An apostle is the same as a shaliach. You know this term? Shaliach, a sent one, a representative. The apostles from the word, I think it's apostolos in Greek, to send out. So Yeshua has the ma'aseh hashlichim, the title of the book, This all-important book is based on the acts of these human beings, so I think we should probably know something about these human beings. They're pretty important. So some questions. Who are the apostles? And the quick answer that someone will be thinking is, that's easy. The 12 guys who walked with Yeshua next... Well, we have to ask if it is really that simple because, of course, it's not, and you all know that's a trick question. The apostles are not 
just the 12. We read, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Messiah Yeshua died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter. It says Cephas, Kephas, Kepha. He appeared to Peter. And then to the 12. And then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. So is it 12? Of course, it's not 12. It's a lot. It's a lot of people, but then... He appeared to someone else. We leave it as a question mark for now. You know who that is, right? Who the question mark is? Yeah. What is an apostle? A shaliach, a sent one, a representative, an agent of a person sent on a mission to represent the sender's mission. They receive instruction from the source, from the top straight from the horse's mouth. So Yeshua appeared to all the apostles. That means that every apostle was an eyewitness to Yeshua. Now, this, I'll just throw this in there, poses a little bit of a problem for when you're watching Christian television and the apostle James Peter Hendrickson from the faith church of the olive tree of the Nazarenes, uh, you know, the apostles were eyewitnesses to Yeshua. If someone wants to give themselves the honorary title of apostle, that's their choice, but that's not correct. You can remember that next time you meet the apostle John Paul, Harry, Thomas, Peterson, Bartholomew. They received their commission from the top. The emissaries had been chosen. And so that's in Acts 10. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. This is is Kepha, this is Peter talking. But God raised him from the dead. On the third day, he caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. So Yeshua chose him, but who gave Yeshua the instruction for who to choose? God gave Yeshua the instruction for who to choose. He probably didn't have a sit-down meeting. He just knew because Yeshua is filled with the fullness of God. God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed to judge the living and the dead. So there it is again. He saw They saw him, he chose them, he commanded them, and they took this mission. So it would seem that we have here our crew of shlichim. 
This is the one that Paul, this is the, these are the people that Peter tells us ate and drank with Yeshua. He ordered them specifically, and it began with our first major player in the book of Acts. I love this artwork, these guys who do such Jewish renderings of the apostles. I don't even know what kind of forehead that is. That looks like somebody's pecs and abs made into his forehead. Klingon, yeah, that's what this is. This is Klingon Peter. Klingon Peter. So our shlichim begin with, as the transmission line said, from God to Yeshua to Klingon Peter. To the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson, not that rock. We're not talking Jumanji or Miami football. Kifa, Petros, the rock. He is our first player, and he appeared, 1 Corinthians 15, to Peter, then to the 12. Major player one, Kifa. What is significant about this as it relates to Luke? Why does Luke make Peter such a big deal in the part of this book, the first part of Acts? It's very, very, very particular. Matthew 16, Luke is certainly out to confirm, as I said in the beginning, the promise that the things that Yeshua said are going to happen. And so in Matthew, Yeshua selects the rock, right? He was selected. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you when he says, you are the Messiah. But my Father who is in heaven, I also say to that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my, and all translations say it, church. Okay, he's not building his church on Kepha, he's building the ecclesia, the community of Mashiach. The people of God, I will build my community and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Do you know how abused that scripture is? Of course you do. People taking authority, I'm taking authority over it. I command you, I bind you. Just because it's in the scriptures, first of all, does not mean it applies to you. There are certain things that were given to certain people with certain authority. This guy is a stud, absolute, top-notch guy with the power to bind and loose from on high. I'm not saying you can't bind and loose, but when someone thinks that they can just apply every scripture in the Bible to themselves, it ends up badly. I have seen way too many people die from diseases that someone swore to me, I bind and loose that in the name of Jesus that cancer is going to leave. It leaves when they die. And I don't like that any more than anyone else does. But I don't like it when people abuse things either. And so that has nothing to do with my message, but I just want to throw that in there. Luke is demonstrating to us that this promise made to Yeshua in the book of Matthew 
paired, coupled, connected to his purpose in Acts is happening for Peter. Peter. And the first, Peter, I'm hungry. Anyone have any hummus? The first 15 chapters of Acts, basically Luke is demonstrating to us with Peter that this is happening. He was chosen, appointed as shaliach. Yeshua, the ultimate shaliach, right? The ultimate, filled with the fullest, fullness of deity. And, and he acted with the full authority of the Father. But he wasn't the Father. He was the shaliach. He was sent with full authority. And the proper transmission that happens is that he transmits his authority to Peter and to the apostles. But started with Peter, the first pope. He's not the first pope. That was a joke. Luke provides us this wonderful example. Father to son to apostles. Just as Yeshua said it would be all along the trajectory and along the path of the shlichim, the apostles had this authority. So we see Yeshua asking the Father in John 14, give them the Holy Spirit. Uh, give them, give them to this, give the Spirit to, to, to my shlichim. And they began to walk in authority. And so Luke establishes the players. However, we have ourselves a problem. Because there are 13 more very important chapters in the book of Acts beyond Peter's story, wrapping up, uh, his story wraps up around 15. So we met this other key player, main player two, just prior to Cornelius, just prior to Peter bringing forth the message of salvation to the Gentiles in chapter 10. In eight and nine of Acts, we meet this other guy. And the rest of the book centers on him, but who is he? He didn't walk with Yeshua. He didn't eat with Yeshua. He didn't know Yeshua. As a matter of fact, he hated Yeshua. And he hated the people who believed in Yeshua. And he tormented them. Even was a part of witnessing the murder of at least one. But worse yet, for Theophilus and others, Jews and Gentiles, they're seeing this new guy and, and he has these letters, right? He has these letters that he's written. And they're, they're probably not widely circulated at this point. But what you see and read in those letters about this guy is completely seemingly contradictory to all of the, quote, Jewishness of the message that Luke has worked so hard to present. Because this guy is different. Your boy is different, Miss Gump. Who is he? How does he fit? How does he, he doesn't fit the mold of the apostles. Luke, however, has gone to these great lengths to show these Jewish apostles this kingdom message, this Jewish message that's going out to who? Jews. 
And in Acts 2, the Jews, and Acts up until 10, the Jews, and in synagogues, and all this other kind of stuff. And he's got all of these quotes from, from the Torah and the prophets, and, and they're like, they end in the second half of the book when this guy shows up. Not all the way, but they're not, they're hardly any. And something is different. Is this guy an apostle? As, as we just talked about, today in the gospel reading, Yeshua says, do not go to the Gentiles or the Samarians. Stick to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And all of a sudden, something is different. The difference is... Uh, Check out the forehead. I had to work long and hard to find these. I'm certain that means something. I don't know what it is, but what a handsome young man. Shaul. This is our different guy. And there is a difference. In Acts 10 through 15, that is the point at which the community realizes something is Different, very different, something prophetic, something amazing, something different. And the book continues from that point forward, telling the story of that difference. Yeshua appeared first to the apostle Kepha, Peter, and he appeared last to this guy, Paul. Player two, big player. Main player, character. He appeared, he raised up and charged one more apostle, and we can call him the last apostle. He's different because he represents something different. New, the expansion, the remarkable circumstance by which God would perform the promised redemption that Yeshua also spoke about in the Gospels, that Luke is already very set on making sure that the world knows. An apostle to the Jews, Peter. An apostle to the Gentiles, Paul. And it is interesting to note all of the other apostles received their calling, their choosing during the 40 days of the Messiah's risen walking around. This guy's different. This guy's different. And we know how different he is because he can be he can be very difficult in Messianic Jewish circles to understand Paul. He was very difficult for many people to understand in Messianic circles when he was alive. That's what Peter tells us, right? My brother Paul, he's confusing. He's hard to understand, and he can really get people fighting about things. That's my own translation of what Peter said and meant. But Peter, I mean, Paul could say he, he saw the risen Messiah, of course, but there's something interesting that I wonder if you've ever noted about Paul and this is what I'm talking about, being different, being a different apostle. I wonder if you've ever noticed that Paul says at the end of the 1 Corinthians 15 text that I gave you about first he appeared to Peter, then he appeared to the 12, then he appeared to 500, then he appeared to James, 
And then he appeared to all the apostles. But that's not where it ends because Paul then goes on to say, and then, and then he appeared to me, one untimely born, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted God's community, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think it's interesting that Paul struggled with something that we all occasionally struggle with, feelings of inferiority. Paul, the guy who is so like in your face, yelling, you can just imagine him kind of like what I'm doing, like yelling at people and being super passionate. And sometimes he comes off like almost cocky, like you almost don't even like Paul. But really down deep, I think Paul had a lifelong struggle because he was not on the level. Do you know how I know that he wasn't on the level according to his people? Because I read the Bible. And he says in in 1 Corinthians 9, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Yeshua our Lord? Like, can you imagine Paul having this conversation? When someone's confronting him, who do you think you are, Paul? Why are you teaching that? You're not Peter. Have I not seen Yeshua? And he goes on to say, are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. So keep that in mind sometimes when you look at Paul and you think, wow, this guy is, you know, he's got it all together. Paul had struggles like us. But it's interesting to think about that, isn't it? He was different. And being different is not always good. He was, at times, I believe, a guy who didn't fit in. And he probably wanted to fit in more, but don't we all? Sometimes when God calls us to do things, we just don't fit in. I kind of like that sometimes, though. Being different has some advantages. He struggled to be recognized as a true apostle. Is he an apostle? Is Paul an apostle? Of course he is. Is he a shaliach? Absolutely. Did Yeshua give him the authority? Did he encounter the risen Messiah? Did he eat with him? No. Did he encounter him? Did he charge him? Did he choose him? Did he select him? Of course he did. He's different. Was he a player, a main character? Yes. Is he equal to Peter? Yes, he certainly is. And Luke intends to show that. And here is something interesting. It's all interesting. It's all interesting. Hopefully my delivery is interesting, but the material is interesting. Luke knew Paul. There are texts in Acts where Paul, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts? So if Luke says somewhere in the text that we, and he's talking about, Paul's traveling and he says, and we arrived in so-and-so and and we traveled. Who do you think we is? It's the author and Paul. Luke knew Paul. And I believe he loved Paul. 
I believe he believed in Paul. I believe he saw Paul struggle. I believe he knew Paul's mission and how incredibly difficult it was. And I know and believe that he wanted to help Paul be recognized as an apostle, as legitimate, as a hero of God's plan. And he goes to these great lengths. Paul paid a price. He gave everything and he was massively important to Luke. In Joseph Shulam's commentary, he says, the book of Acts can in many ways be seen as an apologetic for peace between Jews and Gentiles in the body of the Messiah. Luke is Paul's disciple. And he has taken pains to research because that's what Luke does and put in order because that's what Luke does. The written and oral material, that's where Luke got his information which he gathered in Israel and in the diaspora. He succeeds in reconciling the two great leaders in the community, Peter and Paul, so well that the reader has difficulty finding the seam. What does that even mean? Here's what it means. Peter, the first and the apostle to the Jews. Paul, the last and the apostle to the Gentiles. When you look at their ministries, when you look at their stories in Acts, in Acts 3.2, Peter, first thing, a healing. Paul, in 14, his first healing. Do you know who they both healed? Some guy who couldn't get around. It says a cripple. Peter's first healing, a cripple. It's the text. Paul's first healing, a cripple. There was a healing that took place in the apostle of the Jews by his shadow. There's a healing that took place by the apostle to the Gentiles by a handkerchief. These unique and weird ways of healing because of their power. There's an encounter with witchcraft, both of them, They both get their chance to uh, encounter these, you know, creepy witch types. Peter in 8.18, Paul in 13. They're miraculously protected from prison, from an attack, from death. Peter in 12, Paul in 23. And it says for both of these guys that the word of God kept on spreading Paul's I mean, Peter's language in Acts 6 by the first apostle. And so it says in Acts 19 for Paul that the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Luke is taking Peter and he's contrasting him, not contrasting, he's putting him in these situations and Paul is right there next to him. Why? He's legitimizing Paul. For the people like Theophilus who might wonder, who is this guy? Where'd he come from? What's he talking about? He's awesome. That's who he is. The players are part of that promise we mentioned before and the purpose of Luke. He says and makes certain that Paul is recognized. Ephesians 2, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Yeshua the Messiah as a chief cornerstone. Part of the amazing part of this story for Luke, 
was how it was happening, the Gentiles being saved and how Paul had been chosen. But Luke goes to very great lengths, not just to demonstrate Paul's legitimacy and his comparison with, with Peter, but something very important for our story and for the messages we've heard recently out of Atlanta and for replacement theology and every other thing. Luke goes to incredible depths to maintain Paul's Jewishness. Because the story crumbles without it. Paul, I'm sorry, Luke, knew the price Paul paid. To communicate, this is Shulam's commentary again, to communicate to the readers that although God has ordained the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles, this in no way threatens the Jewishness of the apostolic mission, nor Torah observance and Jewish tradition. The Acts of the Apostles begins in Jerusalem with the vision of the restoration of the kingdom of God to Israel and ends, the book of Acts ends with Paul assuring the Jewish leadership in Rome, I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers in Acts 28. And Luke's Paul, in the book of Acts, Luke's Paul, the Paul, not the Paul that's come down through the ages, not the Paul that's taught on Sunday mornings, and I'm not being critical, I'm just saying it, Luke's Paul. Preached first in the synagogues. It's like, did, did, when I hear the things and, 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 and about Paul and what he said and the interpretations of his letters, it's like he, he just completely forgot who he was. He became someone else. He had a bad case of amnesia. Paul taught in the synagogues, Right? He submitted to Jewish authorities. He had Timothy circumcised. He agreed to and spread the decision of the Jerusalem council. He took a vow. He went to the temple. He journeyed to Jerusalem for Jewish festivals. He brought alms to Jewish communities. He participated in purification rituals. He paid for Nazarite vows. He said, I am a Pharisee. I am a Pharisee. And there's your classic picture, probably from the Passion of the Christ, dressed in black, pointing the finger, you foul, foul Jew, you foul Jews. I mean, not Jews. Whoever, whoever Pharisees call foul, which is everybody according to everyone's interpretation. He believes in the Jewish hope of resurrection and the decision of the Jerusalem, Jerusalem council and he is appointed by Messiah. Thank you. And here's what Paul says in Luke's Acts. Paul, Luke's Paul. In chapter 26, as we're nearing the end of Paul's story as far as we have it. Paul is standing here before these accusers, so to speak, Agrippa. And he says, Shaul, he's talking about when Yeshua appeared to him. Shaul, Shaul, why do you keep persecuting me? It's hard on you to be kicking against the ox goads. I said, who are you, sir? And the Lord answered, 
I am Yeshua and you are persecuting me, but get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you to serve and bear witness to what you've already seen of me and to what you will see when I appear to you in the future. I will deliver you from the people and from the goyim. I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they will turn from darkness to light, from the power of the adversary to God, and thus receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who've been separated for holiness by putting their trust in me. So King Agrippa, did I disobey? Did I disobey the vision from heaven? On the contrary, I first announced in Damasek and then in Yerushalayim and throughout Yehuda and also to the Goyim that they should turn from their sins to God and then do deeds consistent with that repentance. It was because of these things that the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. However, I've had God's help. So to this day, I stand testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what both the prophets and Moshe said would happen, that the Messiah would die and that he, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to both the people and the goyim. Paul remained faithful in everything. And Luke wants to make sure that this transmits to Theophilus, to those after him, and to you. And to the community of believers that is called the church in the world we live in. But it didn't. That message didn't transfer. And that goes back to what I was saying in the very beginning about Torah and about understanding the Bible and understanding the book of Acts in its true context and what Paul did and how wonderful and amazing Paul was. Paul remained two whole years in his own rented quarters and continued to welcome all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Do you remember what I told you the message of Acts was? The original gospel, repent for the kingdom of God. Heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And Paul, at the end of his life in Rome, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, with all boldness and without hindrance. So, those are your players. The first and the last, there were no more when it comes to the apostles. Luke's purpose Quoting from Joseph Fitzmaier, Luke's purpose through the pairing, the promise, and the players is to pass on to the post-apostolic age this Yeshua tradition that is related to, that is centered on, I would say, not related to, centered on the biblical history of Israel, and to insist that it is only within the stream of these guys This apostolic tradition represented by Peter the first and Paul the last that one finds this divinely destined salvation. It's complicated, but it makes good sense. The kingdom of God is the purpose and that is indeed quite a purpose. So your main characters, but there is this last purpose which we won't talk about today. And it is actually the main character. The purposes, the pairing, what was done, the promise, why was it done, the players, by whom was it done, and purpose for how was it done. And that's our last P alliteration. Hagivurah, that's not a P, the power. 
the power of how it was done. And we meet the main character. From the beginning of Acts, from the beginning of the Bible, the main character is the same. And who else might it be? Who is like you among the gods? There is none. The main character is obviously God in the book of Acts. Revealed though, revealed though, in this mighty, new, powerful, not so new actually way. Not so new. And that is the Ruach HaKodesh. And that is actually our main character. And the power is in the Ruach. And that is Luke's purpose. Which we move to chapter 2. We've made it through chapter one of Acts in three weeks. We move to chapter two, and we look at the purpose and the power in the Ruach HaKodesh. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.